Hello and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but talk about how they could be possibly just a little better. I'm one of your hosts, Tony, and with me, as always, is my friendly neighborhood, amazing, spectacular, superior, all-around web-slinging fan. <laughs> it's Matt. It's me. And I, I honestly, I keep doing these episodes at this point because mostly I just like hearing what your new intro is every week. It's always fun. <laughs> I, I try to spice it up for you every week. Just, just mix it up a little. I never want to know how much time you spend on it. I, I want to always just pretend that you do it all like on the off the cuff, like right on the spot. There'll be a documentary where I'll reveal like how much time I spend on each one of these intros one day, or maybe. Oh man, I can't wait for the year twenty twenty five when this documentary comes out. Yeah, or it could be like special content when we start a Patreon or something to that effect, and uh, we can reveal that then. Can't wait for it. Today, however, what we need to reveal is what movie we're fixing. What's the movie, Matt? All right. Well, we've already uh, we've already revealed this in our previous episode, so it's no big surprise. But we are doing Spider-Man Three. Um, I know there's a lot of Spider-Man movies out there over the last decade and a half, two decades. Uh, we are doing the third film in the the original Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, that would be the one starring Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, and a whole slew of other actors are involved as well. Mm-hmm. This movie had a budget of $258 million. It didn't surpass that immediately on in the opening weekend in the U.S., only making $151, about $152 million. But gross-wise, it surpassed it by making over $336 million. Uh, and over $554 million. Man, these numbers just sound so arbitrary, just reading them off. But this is a lot of money, just... Yeah, going around worldwide, five hundred fifty-four million, and well, for a little while there, Spider-Man was the biggest like superhero franchise there was because we, you know, you'd had the the Batman movies of the late eighties and nineties, and then those had kind of been a long time, and then I I want to say before this movie came out, but after the first Spider-Man had come out, the the Batman Begins movie had come out. True. So Spider-Man was still kind of like on top. As far as uh, superhero movies, yeah, I think it was beating out X Men uh, at the time because X Men was also ramping up too. But they were they were close, and they were kind of foraging through the forest of how to make superhero movies in the in the new millennium. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's give a little. Do we want to give the? Do we want to go into the uh, uh, the synopsis right now? Do you want to do that? Yeah, Jessa Ducci's uh, prepared something for us as always. Shall we give it a listen? Yeah, I, I always look forward to hearing from Jess. All right, let's see what she has to say. Hey guys, Jess Aducci here, and uh, well, it's just like it sounds, I've, I've basically lost my voice. You know, Sam Raimi, God love him, he's amazing, but sometimes you just have to yell at the screen for two hours because the movie's so bad, alright? That's all I gotta say. I have no synopsis this week, hopefully the guys can cover you, but uh, when as soon as I get my voice back, I'll be back, and I'll try not to yell at the screen so hard next time, alright guys? Thanks very much. Okay, so apparently we did not get a synopsis this time. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. <laughs> I find it really convenient that when we have to watch Spider-Man 3, she suddenly <clears throat> loses her voice. I didn't know that was an option. I should have thought of that That one. honestly sounded fake. I don't think she was really sick. No, no. Well, that She went out of her way to act sick so she wouldn't have to give us a synopsis for Spider-Man 3. 
I am convinced of that headcanon accepted. I'm going to be honest, I, I can't even falter for that. Well played. Well played, Jess Aducci. I tip my hat to thee. Because, Matt, I'm going to be honest with you, I... I do not care for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man franchise. I am... I'm well aware. The background on this for, for our listeners is neither Tony nor myself had watched Spider-Man 3 up until this episode. Never had an interest. You you had never won... And I, I was telling someone last night, I, I think... I, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I think I was not watching it out of solidarity because I knew how badly you were not interested in this movie. And I was like, you know what? If he's not going to watch it, I'm going to stand by him and not watch this movie. So audience, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, they're kind of my favorite comic book character, uh, just hero in general for a lot of reasons. And I feel like overall these movies misrepresented him. Back in the day, I was very venomant about how much that upset me i'm this is a podcast <laughs> yeah thanks this is a podcast that's built on you know positivity and just like the rest of our channel i'm not going to sit here and just try and t tear down uh this franchise i do have a lot of critiques so but uh i do have to check a bit of my unbridled emotion it's it's funny you know just as i've gotten older how silly i feel about how upset it made me and yet how upset i mm -hmm. still feel so yeah, I get it. I mean, it's sort of like when we talked about the uh, the Star Wars prequel trilogy. You know, I we definitely were a lot more upset about those movies at one time. And it's not that we're not still upset about things. It's that we're just kind of like, I don't know, what's the point of being that mad about it? Yeah. <laughs> but with that said, we are going to try and, and be the professionals and just kind of break down and fix Spider-Man 3. But before we do... Jess did not deliver. Tony, do you want to give our listeners a quick summary of the the story, the 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 mythos, the the legend of Spider-Man 3? Certainly. I'm going to do this as quickly as possible. I'm excited to see how quickly you can do this. This is going to be easy because just like with X-Men The Last Stand, I went back and watched the first two Spider-Man movies to see how they held up to me now because it's been years since I watched them. And I notice a pattern. Spider-Man 3 deviates a little bit from the pattern or just adds to the pattern, but the pattern is you have Peter Parker. He's a nerd trying to keep his life together. There's a villain that emerges somewhere around the hour mark of the film, not so much in this one, around the 20-minute mark, that is somehow connected to Peter Parker. Either Parker slash Spider-Man did something to him that, you know, upset him and, you know, basically made Spider-Man a target. In this one, we have this. We have uh, multiple villains. We have Harry Osborn, who blames Spider-Man slash Peter Parker for the death of his father, Norman Osborn, the villain in the first one. We have the Sandman, who we find out they kind of retcon and say is responsible for Peter Parker's uncle, Uncle Ben's death. And then we have Eddie Brock, who comes in later, who gets ousted as a fraud photographer, used fake photos. Uh, Parker ousts him for that. The symbiote, which uh, Parker rejects, the space alien Venom symbiote, grabs onto Brock, and he's he's got it out for Spider-Man now. Aside from that, he has problems with his relationship with Mary Jane, uh, per the course. And the villains, Sandman and Venom, use Mary Jane to... Uh, lure out Spider-Man and fight him together so they can tear him down and, you know, get vengeance on him. In Sandman's case, Spider-Man got all kind of dark and twisted when he had the symbiote on and came after Sandman really hard, so now Sandman's going after him. Uh, Spider-Man, Sand symbiote, now goes to Harry Osborn, who's also the Green Goblin, and says, hey, I know we don't like each other, but can you help me save Mary Jane because we both like her? He's kind of like, 
no at first, but then he's like, yeah, big fight at the end. Spoiler alert, they save the day. Uh, Harry dies, unfortunately, uh, saving Peter. Sandman, it's not really clear. He just sort of sands away. Like, they kind of make peace with each other, and he just sort of sands away, and Venom slash Eddie die in a pumpkin bomb explosion. And, yeah, we go to, yeah, Harry's funeral at the end, and then, you know, with Mary Jane and Peter Parker, and then it's just them together uh, at the the kind of jazz bar where she sings slash waitresses at. They're dancing, and they kiss, and that's the end of a three-movie franchise that I believe was mostly about their relationship. Yeah. Two, two things I want to add in to this synopsis real quick uh, that are both related to the relationship because, man, it took up a lot of this movie. Um, Peter intended on uh, proposing to Mary Jane for the entirety of this movie. There's a lot to it. There's getting a ring and pr- almost proposing and not proposing. And then there's the side story of Gwen Stacy, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, who's like a girl in his class that they don't really even have any sort of relationship, but it, she becomes the other woman for a minute and complicates the relationship with Mary Jane. Uh, and all that is to say was a movie that was really hyping up this like proposal that never happens. Yeah. Like we get to the end of the movie and I, again, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this movie from 2007, but you know, it absolutely looks like we're finally going to get that damn proposal at the end of the movie, and it definitely does not happen. And I think that's the only thing from your synopsis that is worth mentioning. Because, again, they spent so much time on the relationship in this movie that, man. To be fair, it, they spent so much time on in the trilogy of movies on this relationship. At least... You're totally right. They're totally still right. together. It's... It, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll cover it. So, yeah, I guess, again, I focused on the conflicts. It, the pattern usually goes. But, that, I mean, that was a big conflict in the movie. Yeah, I, I suppose. You're right. You're right. But it usually goes, Peter Parker, there are some villains. They're connected to him somehow. He fights them. And here's something else about all of these movies I noticed. All of the villains always die, which is kind of Well, downplay. except Sandman. Yeah. Who, who you're right. Is it's ambiguous at best as to what happened to Sandman. He blows away like dust in the wind. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, they've got that whole scene at the end where he, I guess he like comes to terms with everything. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I want to talk about Sandman in a second. But before we get to Sandman, first of all, I thought your synopsis was great. And you, you, you kind of succinctly told everybody what happens in this movie. Let's let's go over the short list of what did you like, if anything, from this movie? Oh, OK. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, first things first, it was good to know that F- James Franco, who plays Harry Osborne, wears boxer briefs. He, he looks pretty good in those. Uh, we get an underwear <laughs> scene with him. It's always something clothing related. It's yeah, it's just something I notice. You either like the boots or you like the jacket or you like the underwear. You'll have an almost complete outfit after a couple more episodes. I'm getting my cosplay ready, man. My movie fixes cosplay. <laughs> Um, something serious though, and I think this is the most important thing to come out of all of these films, is the physics for the CGI Spider-Man. I think that, as especially as the movies grew, they really figured out how to make Spider-Man move in a way that I'm, you know, I'm playing that new uh, Spider-Man game that just came out this mm-hmm. year, and I see things happening in that uh those movies that still happen in the games like they pioneered spider-man's like movement and physics and a bit of his fighting style 
And, and it just has to be mm-hmm. nodded to. Like, as much as I don't care for these movies, they came up with some... Re- I think that's what made them so enjoyable for people in the beginning, is the first movie was just seeing them even attempt web-swinging. The second movie, they, like, cranked it up with the fighting and all of that. And I think the reason a lot of people didn't recognize how bad the rest of these movies are is because, until the third one, is because in the third one, it, they did pretty much figured it out, so there wasn't anything new to bring you. I made a note to say that how much I did not like the physics of the CGI in this movie. Oh, that's uh, he, he feels kind of ragdoll a lot in some of the, like, aerial fight sequences, and I don't... Can I re-explain I what I mean? I guess physics sure, maybe everything? Please do. You're absolutely right. The effects, when you look at them, don't hold up for today's time. Like, they definitely look like early renderings of effects now. And and you're right. There, What I mean is, like, his posing and the imagination, ah, the choreography okay. of how he would move. In fact, that's the other thing uh, I really noted in this film is there's a fight in the, early on, which is surprising because there's hardly ever a fight early on in these films, between mm-hmm. um, Harry Osborn as the Green Goblin and Peter Parker. And they're fighting down this infinitely long alleyway. Like, he's web-swinging down it. It's almost like a Looney Tunes. It's cartoon. literally like infinite because that alleyway, there's no alleyway that that's, that's that long in the world. But what was cool about it, what was cool about it was just how he fought and how he dodged in a tight space. And I thought the choreography okay. of that was really well done. Not the overall execution of the scene. Sure. Did it look great? No. But I think somebody had in mind an idea for that encounter. And I, I saw in there like the core concept. I see that in a lot of stuff in these films. Like there's a core concept there. That's not terrible. I get you. I, I, I I'll get, yeah, you're totally right. I will say the, the, like the choreography and the, the intent and the concept of the animation was actually good. I, when I'm talking about the physics, I'm talking about, and you know this, but our listeners may not, but like the, the weight that you apply to like computer generated characters and how you've got to make things look on screen like they weigh what they're supposed to weigh. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about video game physics sometimes where things just look like they don't weigh anything. So, you know, when they get hit, they fly, you know, 70 feet away or, you know, th- th- those sort of like discounting of real world physics are one of the first things that can pull you right out of a movie like this that has a lot of computer generated effects is if it doesn't look real, if it doesn't look like it has the weight that it's supposed to have. Exactly. You're right. And I agree that overall they didn't achieve that, but animation, especially this kind of like in-depth animation was still coming along at that time. I mean, they, the, 2D animation knew all of this stuff, but I think trying to figure out how to put that in live action, they they were still learning. True, that's true. Other things. Well, what else? Uh, yeah, yeah I'll go ahead tell, and tell me you. what else did you like? I got a few, and I really want to name them because I really have a lot of critiques on this. So I want to give this some some ample like props. Um, the pacing is faster. I think that's due to the fact that they had so much going on. But in the other two films, it would take around the fifty minute to one hour mark for him to even put on the Spider-Man suit and for the villain to like become the villain and like the story, the, the, the Spider-Man part of the story to happen up until then. It's always Mm -hmm. just Peter Parker figuring out his life, having a thing with Mary Jane. It's weird. Eddie Brock story. I, I talked about before how they don't do a lot of things true to comics. Eddie Brock story was very, uh, similar to the comic book. I know a lot of people didn't care for the casting of Topher Grace. I was on the fence about it. I didn't hate it. Eddie Brock's normally like kind of a bulkier, <laughs> like bro villain. And, mm-hmm. 
it, it, I, I equate the Topher Grace casting as the same as in Spider-Man Homecoming where Flash Thompson wasn't the jock. He was just another smart person jerk. And this was sort of like that for me. Eddie Brock wasn't the, you know, big, beefy, like, jerk of a guy. He was just kind of the slimy, sleazy jerk of a guy. I understand why fans of Venom are upset because Venom's usually a big, kind of, like, beefy bro kind of, like, anti-hero slash villain it didn't bother me and there was there was <laughs> there's still some of the, some of the best casting ever is jk simmons as j jonah jameson yep. and yep. i mean you just can't beat that down to the flat top hair the attitude the voice he nails it he nails it so much that in the final fight jameson is there looking for parker or brock not knowing they're up in the air fighting uh to take pictures and he he haggles with a little girl to buy her ha- her camera and that whole bit is so adorable. It I was enjoying it so much. I was just distracted from the fact that this is really not in the right place. Like we should be watching this epic final battle. But right now I'm having more fun watching Jameson <laughs> fight with a little girl and haggle about how much she wants for her camera. Yeah, I liked that scene a lot. I I wanted it to be edited differently. We 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 stopped the action too long for that scene when we should have like intercut that whole scene of haggling for the camera to build more tension and it would have built more comedic tension too i think if he was just like really trying to like haggle with this girl for this camera because he's trying to get the picture while he's surrounded by photographers who are all getting the picture but i want to point out two things real quick one i have in in my notes in all caps wait he's eddie brock what the hell so (laughs) to respond to what you're talking about with topher grace the, the truth is you're right i didn't hate him as Eddie Brock so much as the way they handled him in the symbiote suit. It's important to note they never call him Venom in this movie at all. Yes, they, they never do. even say do they really? I know it's in my notes. Mary Jane at one point says, Venom's over there, and this is in the final fight. And I was like, wait, did she just name him Venom? That's like, wild. Yeah. Because I was I really paid attention to this movie. I, I I'll admit I don't always pay a lot of attention to some of these movies. But I was, and I don't remember that. Okay, I'll, you know, I'll take it. So, anyways, Venom, which is what he really is anyways. When he's in the Venom suit talking, he talks in Topher Grace's voice. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> and it's so distracting. And, like, it doesn't even have to be the actual Venom voice that we all know of from the cartoons, from the recent movie, anything like that. But to not do anything with the voice, I felt like was a symptom of a huge problem in this movie. But uh, we're, we're talking about the good things right now, and I want to stick to that. Um, you are absolutely right. Some of the casting in these movies is amazing. Some. J.K. Simmons, by far, is the standout to me. He he is J. Jonah Jameson. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there, who else could ever even play that role at this point? It's him. I also want to shout out to Elizabeth Banks, yep. who plays his secretary, whose name I'm drawing a blank Betty on Betty Brandt. Right she is a character from the comics. She was kind of a love she, interest for early She has Peter a Parker. very small role in all three of these movies, but every time she's on scre- screen, she's hilarious. The scene with the heart... Our blood pressure medicine. What was that? That was hysterical. I don't know, but it was, it was like I I genuinely like laughed out loud. It was so funny. It didn't really fit the movie, if I'm being honest. No, it was but so I, out of I place. I gotta give them credit 
for just some great comedic timing on both of their parts. She's so good at that deadpan. Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. It was so funny. I just, I got to give a shout out to her. Yeah. I, I won't even explain that to people who haven't seen it. You, if you watch this movie, that'll be like an enjoyable scene. And then you'll remember. It's it. like 12 minutes into the movie. You don't even have to finish it. And it has it, nothing to do funny. with anything else. It never comes back. It's never used again. It's, I mean, it's, it's a bit a of a character bit. development for, for, for Jameson to talk about his blood pressure. And he's kind of like a manic person. So you could kind of write it off that way if you want. But while we're on the subject of casting, I just want to say we've had a lot of iterations of Spider-Man over the years, and I think that the Aunt May in this trilogy is still my Aunt May. You know, we've Hmm. had some good Aunt Mays, but this Aunt May is so Aunt May. I love her. I agree that she's probably the closest to comic book. One of the things I like I put in here was that for the first time in three films, her speeches kind of made sense and they were quick. In the other two Mm -hmm. movies, she tends to say stuff that, because it's coming from the voice of this sweet old woman, sound like it should be, like, endearing and wise. But then if you actually just say it back in your head, you're like, that doesn't really mean anything. This time she had... That's just a bunch of nonsense. And this time (laughs) she made really good points to Peter, and she made them quicker. These scenes, like, these movies love to hold on drama like unnecessarily Mm -hmm. long and her scenes are the worst and the pacing is terrible, but not in this movie. Uh, She had good dialogue, which is very rare uh, in these films. And she had well-paced scenes. So I agree with you. This Aunt May, but specifically in this movie was really good. I, I really liked Sally field in the amazing Spider-Man's. I thought that was a great addition, Mm -hmm. even though she didn't get as much uh, FaceTime and I mean, I'm sorry, but I just I'm totally always going to have a thing for Marissa Tomei. So I mean, if she's going to be in a list of things, I'm going to pick her. Sure, I agree with you. I mean, all three of them have been excellent, and also Aunt May in the new video game is really good. They've all been great, but I just I get I think this to me like solidified my vision of Aunt May. So she's always been like the benchmark for me. I hear you playing on what you were saying about the visual effects. As much as a lot of the visual effects don't work for me in this movie, I got to point out that the Sandman visual effects actually work most of the time. Anytime he got wet and it was like a wet sand effect, it did not work at all. uh, And it looked goofy as hell. But a lot of the times when he's just either made of sand or like in partial sand mode, the visual effects actually kind of worked in this movie, so I'll give them. I'm gonna give them that credit credit where it's due. Cool. Another thing we haven't mentioned is we had two really good cameos in this film. Bruce Campbell returns for his third cameo, and so does Stan Lee. And I really like Stan Lee's little just kind of one off line to Peter Parker. No. I literally wrote that Stan Lee cameo is by far the worst he's ever done. Oh, that one. What he said was like nonsensical. Wait, am I confusing it with another one? He said the whole, see, even one person can make a difference. And then that was it. Yeah, but it felt so weird and forced because he's just standing there and this guy, Stan Lee, just walks up to this stranger and says this thing and walks away. They're at the parade, just, though. They're at the the. They event. weren't at the parade. He's just standing in Times Square. No, there was like a sign or something up, though, that was showing Spider-Man He's reading the marquee in Times Square. And Stan Lee saw that and then just said, see, even one person can make a difference. It was inspiring. It, I, it could have been done so much better. I mean, that's everything in these movies. So much better. But that's my point, though, is if we're going to call that out as as good and that's the cream of the crop in this film, then it, this is a film loaded with issues. 
it, I wanted that cameo to be so much, especially because he just passed. Like, I got to see another Stan Lee cameo that I've never seen. And I just kept thinking, like, how poorly handled that cameo was and how it could have been a real genuine moment in this movie. But instead, it's like, who the hell is this old dude that's just walking up to a stranger? And, you know, it just felt uh, if like so much of this movie, it felt like lazy. This is the most controversial I think we've ever been on stuff that we've liked on a film that I think we both feel the same about. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that we've been this way a couple times, but you're, you're right. I think it's funny that you keep mentioning things that I've written almost the exact opposite in my notes. <laughs> kind of fun. Okay, so so I got one more, and I want to see how you feel about this. The last thing okay, I really liked... I have no more, for the record. Okay, the last thing I really liked was the... We got to see the dynamic between Peter Parker and Harry Osborn as friends. Uh, at first, when Harry, you know, who injures himself and, you know, gets a quick memory wipe fighting Peter the first time, comes home with Peter, and Peter's like, they're just joshing together, they're joking around, and I'm like, oh, they are friends. This is why they're friends. Oh my god, I can't believe you said that. I hate that scene so much. <laughs> I liked it because we got to see it some personality. so goofy. I mean, it was definitely goofy, but we got to see some personality in them that wasn't just dramatic sadness and anger and all that garbage and more and more needless crying. And and then when they were fighting together, they kind of had this. Yeah. Like, Spider-Man almost quipped. I, I, I made a note that in all three movies, Spider-Man makes one quip at a villain once. And at least between the two of them, they have a little bit of sass. They're kind of throwing back. Like, Parker's spent, like, once he rescues Mary Jane, is spending just a little too much time trying to, like, you know, like, have his romantic moment with her. And and Harry's just like, really? Now is the time to do this? And I was just like, right? Because it was going on forever. It was just a nice little, it was nice to see some sort of levity of any kind in those characters at all. And I kept thinking, where was this for the rest of the movies when they were supposed to still be friends? Where was this friendship that we've been told mm-hmm. about for three movies, but we're only just now actually seeing play out? And I thought that was nice. I, I have to give it you know, time. So again, it, kind of like with the animation conversation, I, I, I really see your point conceptually. The, the idea of the scene of them back at Harry's place and, like, the weird dribbling, the basketball, like, wh- where did that, like, basketball's a thing now for them? I don't know. it, it To me, I, I, I wrote, the playful banter between Peter and Harry is so forced and saccharine because that's just, that's how I felt about that scene. I, I think you're right. It's a scene that we needed. It just, we needed it better is, the, is, is I guess, my point. And that's 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 so much of this movie is a lot of this movie comes down to a tone issue. And I, I think that's the biggest culprit in the whole film is is Sam Raimi, who is the director and the writer, is ultimately responsible for the tone and the, the perception of the tone in this movie. And he I, I just think he failed in so many ways. But let's let's get into some nitty gritty. What were the sh- some of the sh- give me a short list of some shortcomings in this movie? What were the big culprits for you? All right, so I'm gonna stay broad then. Um, okay. First thing is I feel like uh, these movies in general, and it stays true with Spider-Man Three, want to try and emulate the '89 Burton Batman films. Uh, that's just sort of from the music to the just sort of kind of kookiness about it i think those films were popular tim burton is not a typical director and so some studio head with 
you know, no imagination said, well, we need to find another kooky, weird director and we need Danny Elfman to, you know, generate the score. And, you know, we just we need to copy that. But with Spider-Man. To be clear, Danny Elfman didn't do the score for the third one. No, he didn't. They 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 basically did what they do with a lot of the John Williams cues from the early Harry Potter films. They like kept the themes that we all know of, but had another uh, composer come in and do the third film. Right. But it still sounded and felt Elfman-esque, which isn't necessarily bad. It just... No, not at all. It's one of probably the better things about the movie, to be honest. I just kept thinking, this reminds me of Batman. It just sounded like it could have been in in the Batman soundtracks from the 89. Agreed. Everything in all of these movies, I know we're just talking about three, but this is just true of all of them, including three, feels so long. It takes so long for anything to happen in the overall movie every scene feels drawn out even when it's not like i pause to take notes and see that only a few minutes have gone by and it felt like 20 minutes to half an hour had gone by everything is just too long in in all of these films an example i I have one example i'll give in in this movie in the third one peter has uh he's gonna one of the times he's gonna propose to mj he has the ring hidden in a glass of champagne well of course it all goes bad it the scene's over she stomps off he reaches in he picks up the champagne glass looks at it then picks up a fork then scoops out the ring, then starts to draw off the ring. I'm like, what is th- why is this scene still going? This Somebody needed to cut this scene. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, right when he looked at the glass even, I give you, the, I, I let you go that far. far. But, mm-hmm. and, and the writing in this, all of these films is terrible. Down to the dialogue is mm-hmm. just, slang, it, it, in the story and the dialogue are just bad. Like, I'm again, I'm trying not to at, be At one point, I just started writing down terrible one-liners in this movie because there were so many. And I, I... I love a good one-liner. You know that about me. Like, I love a bad one-liner. But the the one-liners in this movie, were they were neither good nor bad. They were just mediocre and disappointing. But the normal dialogue between human beings also sounds really... I don't want to use the word childish, but what I mean to say is it's... it's Simplistic. Yes, thank you. There's a scene after Mary Jane has her, like, big premiere on Broadway, right? And... Peter Parker and Mary Jane are out to dinner or something. I can't remember what they... I think they were out at dinner. But Peter's having this whole, like, conversation, trying to make her feel better about her performance, right? And he says something like... He says something seriously about, trust me, Mary... Or MJ, I know about theater. I'm Spider-Man. Or something about, I know about performance. And it, it just... It felt... It feels like a parody of itself. You're like, okay, Peter, I guess you know about theater because you're spider-man I, I don't know there's a lot of that kind of dialogue that feels like you said it feels very first draft mm-hmm. it feels very like lowest common denominator like let's let's not tuck any sort of like nuance or metaphor into any of these scenes like everything is just this is the thing i am doing and this is how i'm feeling right i i, I put in my notes that this movie feels like a sledgehammer. Every part of all three movies feels like they are smacking you as hard as they can across the face with exactly what's going on, what's being felt. There is there is no nuance to it. There is no creativity. It, it's just, here is the story. This is what is happening. This is how the character feels. And I mean, from the, mm. from the performances to the music to the way it's shot to 
the dialogue that's written due to what's actually happening. It, it's just so... I, I like the term rough draft. You really hit the, the nail on the head with that. It, it It's like, okay, this was like the concept, but now you have to go like turn this into a story that people can see. I, it makes me angry. I think part of the reason I get so upset is when you make something so simplistic, when you make something so just like obvious and in my face, I take offense to that as if you... Is, is if you, you're you worried that your audience might be too stupid to get it if you don't do this. and it, Yeah, it's condescending to your audience, I think, when you write like that. It showed through everything. I think most of the production of these films was terrible. I didn't, I didn't like a lot of the editing in these films. One of the things they didn't do, or I didn't uh-huh. notice in this one, though, was they didn't have the weird transitions. In movie one and two, they would change scenes with oh, these yeah. horrible transitions. Uh, uh-huh. and, and they weren't even consistent. Sometimes it would be like a weird wipe or like a wipe into the spider signal. And then like sometimes it would be like the goblin like flashing and making a goofy laugh but or yeah. fire. It was it was always just terrible and it never worked. So I, I also made a lot of notes about editing in this movie. And you're right. I think it had a lot of editing issues. Um, I Good genre films, in my opinion, weave like relationship real world drama into the sci-fi fantasy aspects really well so that it never feels like we're completely switching gears. This movie did not do that. There a lot of the relationship drama between Peter and MJ and then sort of with Harry and Gwen, it, it feels like they just completely like hit the brakes. We're going to talk about relationship stuff for 20 minutes and then we're going to get back to the superhero stuff. And none of it feels woven together nicely, which is, I, I think, how you have to do genre films like this. Uh, we talked earlier about that scene with uh, Jameson at the final battle. And I did think that scene was cute with him trying to, like, haggle with a little girl over the camera. And then, of course, the camera doesn't have film and the girl says film's extra. It was a cute scene, but man, could it have been so much cuter if... We had, you know, cut away to see Jameson show up to the fight and he's looking around and he's seeing all these photographers with cameras getting the pictures and he looks down and he sees the girl with the camera and then we cut back to the action for a second and we come back and we and he's mid haggle he's like you know give me that camera little girl and she's like how much are you gonna give me for it and he's like five dollars and she goes a hundred and he goes 50 and like they, they haggle they haggle they haggle and they finally like make the transaction he gets the camera and he goes to wind the camera we cut back to the action we cut back and it's him you know winding the camera and looking at it like what's going on and he opens the camera and there's no film and he looks back at the little girl and the little girl says films extra like that whole bit is so much funnier if we weave it together in the action and we're building that tension and there's none of that in this movie that kind of building temp- tension. It could play to the humor because as you're, as the cutting happens, it can get faster. So we see action, see Jameson, and we see him just kind and of. And the action can getting be getting bigger and more outlandish. So he he needs that photo even more. Right. Exactly. Or maybe there's and maybe as we're cutting back, there's more photographers, more photographers. You know, it's just building his stress level. And, and again, this example we're talking about is nowhere in this movie. I I do want to point out real quick that I I ended up buying it on iTunes because it was on Netflix two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, great. When we get to this movie, I'll just watch it on Netflix and I won't have to pay for it. But of course, they took it off of Netflix, so I went to buy it. The Netflix version includes an editor's cut of the film. 
And I have not watched it because I, I wanted to review this film with you based on the theatrical release. But I'm very tempted to go back and watch this editor's cut of the film because I do think editing was one of the biggest sins or like biggest problems with this movie. And with, I'm curious with if all that, three the of the movies. It true, really was. But I I do wonder what the editor's cut of this looks like. It's it's funny. I I saw that too. The the it was t- it's two minutes shorter. So That's I don't think probably good. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think we're hurt. Gonna, right. He just he just went through and shaved like ten seconds off of every scene. But I would take it honestly. That would work. Yes, yeah, so I don't think we get like new content, but maybe content presented better. And I definitely would like to see that. Trying to stay stay big. There were so many extras in all three of these films. I don't know if you noticed it but just there are always people like in crowds in almost every scene people in the background stuff like that and they're very noticeable if not like cut to at times to get reactions from i that's interesting i have never been so aware of the extras in a film uh, than i was in these movies I'm, again i'm trying to keep it big because you know i know a lot of people who have seen this will want us to go into you know when spider-man puts on the the symbiote and becomes kind of like emo peter parker like the darker oh my version God, that of hair that hair was just uh, the i don't know what they were really doing with that hair so when he when he when when he has the symbiote he like pulls his hair out a little bit and his hair becomes black instead of dark brown and he suddenly has like bangs like he's in some sort of like the killers band and it 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 okay so this is sort of a broad stroke. Maybe it's too specific, but I think it's a broad stroke. I want to go back to what I said earlier with the one of the biggest problems with this movie is with the tone. And I think it's 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 the most noticeable in Peter, the character of Peter. So in these movies, in its two predecessors, in the comics, in you know, the old cartoon, all of it, Peter Parker is a nerd, but he's not a dork necessarily. And I think in this movie, even more than the fir- its two predecessors, he's played off as so much of a dork and not really even as a nerd. And that's a problem because it he's not likable, really. And not at all. It it completely negates how sciency Peter Parker is. Always. And in this again, in this movie, I think even more than its two predecessors, it, they just it's like they forgot that he's a science nerd i don't think they like, knew I, I i don't think there was a lot of research they done. they is he they is sam raimi sam raimi wrote and directed all three of these movies i would not be surprised I think if he he's has never a misunderstanding read a comic. of the yeah i think he has a misunderstanding of the character uh it's 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 noticeable right away in that one of those very first scenes when he's in uh, class. He's in a, a, a college lecture, mm-hmm. sitting a couple rows behind Gwen Stacy, and some dudes in the back row, some mouth breathers, uh, shoot a spitball at him. Which, this is like an upper level college course this is happening in. Right, right. And I, my first thought is, where's his spidey sense? I don't understand. There's there's a, more than a few moments in this movie, specifically, where I keep thinking, we've already established his spidey sense in the first two movies, as this thing that is like always on, he's always aware of his surroundings. 
Yet he's getting caught off guard over and over again by like the stupidest things like a spitball. And that to me was just the very first in a long descending stairway of not understanding this character. And then again, there's so many scenes where he's not played up as the nerd, the kind of like likable nerd. But he's played off as just like a full-on dork. But but I think this goes back to you saying that it was just like things are not done well in this movie. Like the scene with the spitball, the scene him of him getting picked on is to show, oh, look, he's getting picked on. He must be the underdog. He must be the nerd. Like it, it, the purpose of that scene was so blatant that they obviously never took the time to think about the logic of it. Why would these people be picking? Like this is an upper level course Peter's a really smart guy. Why is this where he gets picked on? There were times in the other movies, like, he just can't catch a break. Everything just bad happens to him. Like, at one point, he's at a gala, and he goes to try and take, like, something from any tray from servers, and he keeps he keeps missing them until he finally gets a glass of champagne, but it's an empty glass of champagne. Now, that scene does nothing, or that point or bit does nothing for the scene. It doesn't enforce it. It just reminds you, like you said, he's a dork. And that's the problem is a nerd is someone who is really smart and really passionate about what they're smart about and no one else or and maybe has a little bit of like social ineptitude and an over. Yeah, but he's beyond social ineptitude at one point. Right. In but this I'm movie, saying that's my point is like you can play him as a little socially inept, like missing certain social cues or, you know, maybe be talking too loud in a in a group conversation like those little things. But again, he's not a full on dork. Well, it, and he, he comes off as a creeper at times. At one point, the, oh he's God, watching. So many times. He's watching the video of Spider-Man on the marquee, and these kids are watching it and go, "Cool!" And then they go to walk away, and he goes, "It's going to restart in a minute. Do you want to stay and watch?" And I'm like, "Dude, these are unsupervised supervised younglings. Why are you calling out to these kids?" to like stick around and they're just like nah because they're supposed to be dismissive of him the whole point was to dismiss him as unimportant even though it was yeah. spider-man it, it, again it's so in your face it just smashes the point with a hammer that that all logic of the scene is is crushed and i just yeah i, I see it over and over again the, i mean there are things he says to mary jane that in all three films that are just this is not a lovable nerd who's just nervous. This is somebody who's a bit of a creeper. Yeah, he's just plain not likable in this movie, which he's your hero. I mean, and he's supposed to be kind of like a lovable nerd. You're supposed to see why MJ, who is this beautiful, talented, um, like gorgeous individual, like you're supposed to kind of see what she sees in him. And man, if you can't really at all, there's... There's not a I can't, I'm trying to think in all seriousness of moments in this movie specifically where I felt like any sort of like camaraderie or like like I was rooting for him and I I, I can't really think of anything. And it's this reason, like, this it's sort of, like, complete misinterpretation of the actual Peter Parker, because all of these things exist in the comics, and even sure. in, like, the cartoon, like, there was source material for what to do here. All you had to do was pick up a comic and read for just a little bit. The fact yeah. that all of this was missed, all of this was dismissed for a really blatant and obvious cliché dork, that's why I'm not upset that are, are just put off by his darker self when he decides to be, you know, when he gets, you know, influenced by the symbiote and just becomes a jerk. Everything he's doing is just the 
hammer to the face cliche version of that. Of course he's going to dance like a fool and just be so full of himself that he's going to take his current date to where his ex-girlfriend works so he can do some awful dance number around her that really was just poor, like really bad. And and it's like none of this, I think what's interesting is a lot of the original audience was like, this is terrible. Oh, look how terrible he is. Why are you making mm-hmm. us watch this? I've been seeing that exact same feeling or I've been having that exact same feeling for three movies. This, this, this person is terrible. And I think it just, when they showed the air quotes bad version of him, it, it really just became apparent of how unlikable he is just in general. And I think that's why critically this movie is just the the most flamed and the one that wants to be the most forgotten. I, I will say this, though. When he's, like, walking down the street, kind of, like, giving ladies the eye and pointing and doing horrible dances. His finger guns? Yeah, the finger guns. The one thing I thought was accurate was everyone's reaction to this was repulsed. They were, like, weirded out. They were repulsed. Like, he wasn't getting, like, a positive reaction to this. He was just oblivious to it. Like, he's always oblivious. So I thought, you know, this... This almost seems like it's on purpose. It almost seems like they're trying to make him the worst possible ever, like the most laughable joke of a thing. And I think you're right. And I want this is a good time to point out uh, Nick Aducci, Jess's husband, who's done some of the artwork for our channel. Uh, she, he's done the uh, the cover art for Movie Fixers. He originally wanted to be on this episode because he he's a fan of Sam Raimi, and he wanted to point out that a lot of people thought that Peter on Venom, a.k.a. the symbiote, that, like, emo Peter was really stupid, but that he thought it was actually spot-on and hilarious because that's the worst version of Peter, really, as this, like, giant nerd. Especially this Peter Parker, the one we've seen for three movies. Right, as a giant dork at this point, this is exactly what giant dork Peter would think of is, like, the most badass version of himself. So I, I do think that this like emo douchebag character is true to this character. It's just, man, is it hard to watch? Well, because a lot of the time people weren't paying attention to who he was before and what he looked mm-hmm. like as a character before. They just thought, oh, Peter Parker, he's the good guy. We should like him. Like you said, yeah. is there any real connection between him and Mary Jane? No, she's the the romance. He's the protagonist. That they have mm-hmm. to go together. But that's you know again that's the that's a writer taking their audience for granted. If if you're expecting your audience to say like, oh, this is the hero, we're supposed to like them. No, that you're not doing your job. Your job is to make us like your your hero and to give us reasons to relate to your hero and understand your hero and i I, there was a i think he really fell short in a lot of this uh for sure are there any other like glare like broad stroke general issues but before we get into like possible fixes that you want to talk about this might be a little narrow but i don't like how much screaming mary jane has to do in these movies it (laughs) it got it got better in movie three so maybe i should acknowledge that but in the first one all she did was scream it's a wonder poor kirsten dunstan lose her voice same as in the second one by the end in this one she was better but it's there was always some female off in the background of a tense scene that has to give like the quintessential you know damsel in distress scream and it just gets Mm -hmm. old it it, they they overplay it like they overdo everything else and i don't know was was mj the worst in these movies like no not at all in fact i i i 
I I feel bad when we were talking about things that worked in this movie. I don't think Kirsten Dunst was a terrible MJ by any means. And I actually liked the beginning of this movie, finally seeing this MJ, you know, getting onto Broadway, getting a career. Like, I liked that we were actually getting to spend some time with MJ and seeing some seeing her character finally get hers. Well, started to. I, I, that's what I'm saying, is at the beginning of the movie, I really, the first probably 30 minutes of this movie, maybe 40 minutes of this movie, if I'm being generous, I remember thinking, like, this movie really isn't that bad. It's, like, mediocre at best. I don't really quite understand why everybody hates on it. And then, man, it nosedived. It nosedived hard. I, I do have one more thing I really want to mention as as a, as a big glaring issue in but, this movie. But before you do, I, I want to explain what I meant by is MJ the worst. I'm I'm, I'm actually asking the question and I think what it is is in all three movies she's sort of there to be she she feels like a force of disparagement for Peter Parker like it's either the unattainable girl or the girl he has to keep away so she doesn't get hurt and then in this one like the girl he doesn't know how to like be there for while being Spider-Man and I feel like just a lot of her character brings all of this just negative energy. But then you see how he treats her, especially in this third one. And you're like, you know, I can't necessarily blame her for, for not feeling like this is working out because it isn't, it's not just her, but she is kind of obnoxious too. And it's just like what her character brings. Like you never see, aside from the fact that she's very beautiful and seems kind of, you know, nice, what she brings to like make Peter's life better because it seems like it's always just where the stress and the angst lies. But I don't think that's not, is that her? Is that just how they wrote the story? I think Kirsten Dunst was a fine Mary Jane. I'm, I'm more thinking sure. of the character. And that's that's what you I You make a lot of good points. And again, I, I'm with you. It's it's the writing that's, that's the problem. Because that is, again, your job as the writer is to sell these relationships, but not just romantic relationships, but to sell any relationship. And we don't really get that. I mean, we get the cute little making out in the trees, but that's all such like surface stuff. That's not establishing why they're a good couple or why they're together. What was he thinking upside down kissing Gwen Stacy? Like, seriously, I get why she was ticked about that. I was so blown. And maybe that was the point. Maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe the whole thing is that we're, we're trying to say that Peter has gotten too big for his britches and it's like his fame has gone to his head. But yeah, when he, when it would have been one thing And we're getting into a fix now, but like had Gwen taken that opportunity to give him the upside down kiss for like the, the, the stunt of it all or for like for whatever. And Peter was like surprised by it. That would have felt so much like truer to character for Peter. But Peter just flat out suggesting like lay one on me. They'll love it was it's so like not Peter Parker. And I don't even just mean comic book Peter Parker. I mean, even the Peter Parker that you set up in Spider-Man 1, this doesn't feel true to character at all. I I thought maybe he meant, like, kiss him on the cheek, and then she was gonna, like, go too far and plant one on him, but yeah. Maybe, except no. Because he doesn't remotely hesitate or flinch or pull away when she goes to... Also, he's upside down. What what did he think she was gonna do? I don't know. Like, he was clearly setting up for the upside-down kiss popularized by Mary Jane. The opportune word you said there was think. I don't think there was any thinking going on in any point. It's all surface level. It's like, oh, this is a great moment to throw back to the upside down kiss and cause some very forced drama between him and Mary Jane. So much of the writing feels so, maybe forced is the word, like it's like writing of convenience. 
It's like, these are the things I want to do in this movie, so this is how I have to write to get there. And it disregards completely characters' like real intentions and motivations. Nail on the head. You're really killing it, this one. That's I, well, I agree. I, I really... Uh, yeah, you know me. I'm not... A huge Spider-Man fan. I, I like Spider-Man. So I went into this with kind of like, ah, I'm sure I'll, I'll think it's fine or whatever. But I was so frustrated with this movie from a writing perspective specifically because it just felt so half-assed. Yeah. Or and, and, and maybe not, I don't know. So speaking of half-assed, my last thing involves Sandman. I think Sandman's a cool character. He's one of those villains that has like, an almost altruistic motive, you know, his, his daughter's really sick. He's a, and he wants to rob banks to raise money to pay for some sort of procedure. Right. He's, he's, he's the kind of villain that I can kind of like get behind. I'm like, all right, I see what you're doing. Don't agree with your, your methods at all. But like, at least I understand your motivation, but they set the, like he escapes in the very beginning of the movie, which I mean, don't get me, don't even get me started on how did he escape? Like, whatever. So he escapes. He goes to visit his family. He's told to leave, and he promises his daughter, I'm going to get that money. We're going to make sure you're okay. And then that entire concept and storyline of, of saving his daughter is dropped until the very end of the movie. There's no scene. And, you know, there's a, there's a big fight scene in the subways at one point between Sandman and Spider-Man. And it was the perfect moment to go ahead and and develop that character more and have a fight. You know, you can even have that fight like they had in a uh, uh, black Panther where the, you know, the trains are going through so they can't get to each other, but they can still hear each other or what, like it was an opportunity for him to like explain his motivation to Spider-Man to try and maybe like win Spider-Man to his side or his, his you know, to make him understand. And for Peter to have that moment of like, Oh wow, I understand. You know, but you know, there's a, there's another way to do this. You know, Marco, we can we can do something else. We can still save your daughter. You don't have to do this. But we don't get any of that. We just get him trying to rob a bunch of like armored cars and Spider-Man just trying to stop him. And there's no development there. It's all so lightweight and uninteresting until the very very end when he's finally pummeled him down and he re reveals that he was doing it for his daughter. And if I remember correctly, Peter's like, well, we'll make sure your daughter's taken care of. And then, like you said, dust in the wind. He just leaves. Right. And you had such an interesting opportunity for a villain. Like, villains make these movies. You and I have talked about that so many times before. A great villain sells a superhero movie or a genre film of any kind, really. And Harry's not a bad villain. He, he, he does all the heavy lifting in the villain category in this movie, to be honest. But the same, you know, we had we had Harry, we had Eddie, and we had uh, Marco Sandman. And I feel like if you're going to include Sandman and you're going to include Marco, who has arguably an interesting character story, do it right or just don't do it or just omit him from the movie. You could probably delete Marco from this movie and still make it work. Oh, totally. And this goes back to the X-Men Last Stand issue where it's too many stories happening at once. Yeah. And it's sad because, again, I like Sandman as a villain. I've always liked Sandman as a villain because he's a very relatable villain. He's a very redeemable villain. In fact, a lot of times in the comics, he he turns into a, a protagonist because his goal isn't villainy. His goal is always 
kind of altruistically motivated. It's just by whatever means necessary. And that's what makes him Oh, my God. I completely forgot about the whole sub-story of revealing that he was actually Uncle Ben's killer this whole time. Right. And the man that we thought was the killer in movies one and two was really just his accomplice. And then we, you know, we get a couple different flashback scenes, one that makes Marco look like this cold-blooded murderer. And then we get this reveal that he wasn't a cold-blooded murderer. Uncle Ben actually tried to save his soul. And, you know, it was just misunderstood. And he and it's like, it's all so, it's all too little too late. It undermines Parker's original sacrifice, because originally he doesn't stop the criminal that then later kills his uncle. Like, he should have stepped in. That's, that's like quintessential why Peter Parker became Spider-Man. It's as essential as why, you know, Batman's parents dying is why he became Batman. But... Mm-hmm. Well, and it's trying too hard to connect elements. I don't like when movies, everybody has to be related to everything and every person. Like, Sandman doesn't have to be a part of Spider-Man's backstory to be an interesting storyline in this movie. And in the they... comics, they're all separate. They all all of his villains, almost all of his villains, except for maybe the Goblin, don't come as a connection to part of his life. They come as yeah. they connect to Spider-Man, who is stopping them from committing crimes. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's sort of the thing. If he was never Spider-Man, he'd never interact with these people. The fact that he chooses to involve himself in the goings-on of the world and criminals and stop them is why they have this vendetta against him. That said, I, I did like Thomas Hayden Church as Marco for what little screen time he got. I, I thought he was good, yeah. I guess. Again, with all the plots happening between the relationship with Mary Jane, Sandman, Venom, Green Goblin, there were just parts in this movie where one of those plots would just disappear and then suddenly come back and you would go, oh, I forgot mm-hmm. that was happening. So... I think we're going to have a little bit of an X-Men fix in here where we might need to just kind of like shave off some uh, some of the excess here. Right. Well, with that said, let's let's get into our fix. I, I have a very non-traditional yet probably not surprising at all to you fix for this movie. I am intrigued. Let's hear it. Okay. So a little bit of backstory. Obviously, I like musical theater. Huge fan. Big, big fan of musical theater. And when I'd heard there was a musical number in this movie, I got a little excited. Uh, Truth be told, the musical number everyone's referencing is uh, a scene where Peter goes to the jazz club that Mary Jane is singing at now and interrupts her while she's singing, by the way, which is so rude. (laughs) I kept thinking, like, I guess she's done singing now. And he has this whole, he doesn't even sing. He just dances his way around the restaurant and kind of acts just like a jerk. And it's this whole big blown up number and it's ridiculous and doesn't fit the movie at all. But I got to thinking it kind of fits Sam Raimi. If you think about it, if you look at like army of darkness, his MO is this sort of like over the top absurdity. And I think that's maybe the, maybe big, maybe italicized bold font, everything. Maybe the problem with this film is that he pulled back too much. And what I'm wondering is if we had gotten basically like think Austin Powers as it relates to like James Bond, right? It's meant to be kind of the same thing, but also a parody as well. I wonder if Sam Raimi was given the full like go to to create kind of a parody of Spider-Man or like maybe like Casino Royale, the original Casino Royale was to James Bond, like not necessarily 
a quote unquote real Spider-Man movie, but like a genuine bona fide 100% musical. If this could have been something really like grown worthy, but also like enjoyable. Cause there's so many points in this movie where I kept thinking like, Oh, you could put a musical number here and it would totally work. There's a bit towards the end where Peter's in the black suit and he's up literally like crying in the rain on top of this cathedral (laughs) and the camera's kind of pushing in and it looks almost identical to the shot in frozen where the camera's pushing in and Elsa starts singing the snow glows white on the mountain tonight. And I just kept thinking like, where's Peter Parker's like big musical number. And I know it's ridiculous, but I feel like you could have kept so much of this movie intact if you just made it a musical just go there all the way sam raimi because it feels like what he really wanted to do in the first place once again nail head you've hit it i will say this about this idea you're having though i think it would work really well in today's world in today's time of a saturated environment of superhero films when these were out they were trying to pioneer how to even do superhero i think to have gone satire then especially again not with the third one if you even if you just did the third one it would not have been received or understood well by its audience but i think it's a great idea and it it should be looked at as something to do now where we just okay. We just, I mean, and we're already starting to see it um, with, like, Deadpool breaking a lot of fourth wall, like, bits and and, and acknowledging some of the the tropes of superhero-ness and with broader scope, faster, you know, crazy things like Into the Spider-Verse. I think we're in a time where your idea could really take off. And if it's not Spider-Man, it needs to be somebody. But Spider-Man is such a prominent figure that that would be a really fun way to do it. I just think this movie in in particular, I think partially because we, we like the movie almost opens on Broadway because MJ has finally gotten her big break. And she's and there's a there's a really kind of nice, beautiful number of Pete going to see her on opening night of her show. And MJ comes down the staircase in this gorgeous gown. And I'm just like, wow, this could be a great musical. And then as the movie kept going, I'm like, oh, man. Did he want to make a musical and he just wasn't allowed to? Because, I mean, musicals are allowed to go big and bold. Musicals are allowed to be ridiculous. So when you get to a scene with, like, crazy emo Peter Parker going down the street and giving finger guns to people with his, like, weird bangs, like, that would work in a musical because musicals are about heightened reality. And it's like so much of this movie lives in that heightened reality that to me that's almost weirdly the easiest fix for this movie is to embrace a lot of these flaws as not even flaws in the first place but then you also still have to fix a lot of problems with like storytelling right so i think there's a better way to tell the sandman story there's a better way to to handle the like relationship drama between mary jane and peter but Overall, that's my that's my fix. It's it's a non-traditional fix, and I know it's easy to say, Matt, your fix for every movie is to make it a musical. But I think <laughs> in this case, this movie's basically begging to be a musical, so it actually kind of works. Definitely sounds like fun. Can't say that it, it, it looking at it as part of a trilogy, it would be weird. You're right. That's the biggest flaw in 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 my argument is because it's the third installment, you can't really just switch gears. But I will say you were talking about the time when this was released and they were trying to still like figure out the genre. I, 
I kind of see what you're saying, but also we'd already had two Spider-Mans. We'd had Batman Begins. We'd had, I think, two X-Men movies. So the the formula was almost established. This would have been an interesting moment to start breaking the formula, I think, in, in the timeline of superhero movies. It could have been a pioneer. It would have... But you are right. Uh, this sort of thing would work much better today than it would have... 10 years ago still that's that's good i have a more traditional idea of how to fix this which involve involves doing what you said is making it good telling a good story <laughs> i figured you would which is why i wasn't worried about my musical idea <laughs> no I, I love it that's that's a good that's a good uh twist a good spin and and it, I, i'm honestly smiling because it sounds like something that would and be i want to be clear i saw the Spider-Man musical on Broadway, and it was atrocious, but this could have been a great one. <laughs> Instead of Bono, we needed Sam Raimi. It's exa- exactly. I-, I think Sam Raimi, we give a lot of grief for a lot of good reasons, but I want to see what his musical looks like. I want to see a Sam Raimi musical, because I think that's when we're going to get to really know the real Sam Raimi. <laughs> Can't wait. No, so my fix, and again, we try not to delete things if we can. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily want to take out any particular story element. I just want to intertwine them more. I think the only thing I really want to change is I want Mary Jane's character to be more of a positive influence on Peter. I want her to be what helps keep him like centered in life. Because life is difficult mixing between Spider-Man and the real real world. And now that she knows who he is, like, let's mm-hmm. let her be a really strong, helpful support character who maybe even helps, like, take the lead on some things. I mean, he's going to be fighting three villains. That's going to be overwhelming. Yeah. You know, he needs that that support structure instead of a fourth, like, thing to contest with, which is, like, keeping her, like, being there for her in the way he needs to be. So I would I would definitely make Mary Jane, like, more of a support character. I mean, and that's really what she becomes in the comics. She becomes, I don't want to say a sidekick. You know, everybody's got, like, the guy in the chair and... Right. Well, and you see that in the in the video game, the most recent video game that's doing well. She kind of plays a similar role of being his support character Mm -hmm. while also doing her own thing and figuring out who she is being her individual like she doesn't define herself by that so yeah i'm not making this idea up it exists in multiple places in spider-man you know uh, sorry i just want to interject this real quick because i i mentioned earlier that this movie lacked any sort of like metaphor or allegory Everything, like you said, it's very like sledgehammer. Everything is just what it is on the surface and no more. This is such an opportunity for, and, and forgive me, this isn't meant to be a pun. This is meant to be a, a legitimate observation. She's the She needs to be the one that grounds Spider-Man. In this movie, he, he gets kind of full of himself and he, he gets into the hype of the Spider-Man character and the Halloween costumes and the Spider-Man parade. And... This is an opportunity to show that Mary Jane is the, the the grounding element of his life that keeps him like humble and keeps him on the straight and narrow. And you're you're right that mm-hmm. that's a big glaring omission in honestly the whole trilogy, but in this third one specifically, she gets so caught up in her own career and getting fired from her show, which not that she shouldn't be, 
But I think this that was an opportunity to show her as the strong one mm-hmm. as oh, it's OK. I'm going to get the next I'm going to get that next role or, you know, she should be the one grounding him and not. Well, not that he was really grounding her at all, because, of course, she doesn't tell him. Right. Which is so stupid. But, but he's not listening either. Yeah. Their whole relationship is just like a how not to in relationships. But we, we, we change that and show it as something positive and constructive. One of the things she can help ground him with. So here, here's here's how we use some of the other elements. Uh, th- there's there's a conflict to him like staying grounded. I think he should have gotten the symbiote much sooner, so that a bit of this big headedness, a bit of this just conflict and staying grounded, is partly how that's influencing him. So yes, she can be yes. the grounding to that. But also, here's the thing: you've got two other great villains right now. You've got Sandman, who we don't need to tie him to Peter Parker. He's just Sandman doing his thing. We've got Harry Osborn, who is connected to Peter Parker because he's got a vendetta. Osborne's his friend, but he's got to go all out to stop him. Sandman's just another criminal to, par- to Spider-Man. He's got to, and Mary Jane's the one who has to like ground him and make him realize that just because he's got this really horrible thing going on with Osborne doesn't mean he can just treat Sandman the same way and just go all out and be violent. Like, he's got to try and understand who this person is while dealing with his other stuff. Like there's a whole problem with being Spider-Man. And this is something Spider-Man talks about is like yeah. he has to pull his punches all the time and he has to figure out who he's fighting and what them are about because not everybody's just a villain there's more right. to them well, it's, than it's a it's the same thing batman deals with it's like you got to see the actual person behind the villain right and you're right that actually goes a long way to fix the sandman storyline Exactly. And in the meantime, Topher Grace doesn't just appear out of nowhere as Eddie Brock like he does in this movie where he's just there all of a sudden. And oh, yeah, dating Gwen Stacy, I think. Was that a thing? Yeah, that was a thing. It never really. Yeah. he Because well, he says like, oh, and I'm dating your daughter. But then it. Yeah. yeah you're, meanwhile, it she's going out with Parker and Smooch and Spider-Man. So who knows? how true that was but he's actually like they're contesting parker's life life because that was the whole thing is you know he doctored photos of spider-man committing crimes he was basically one-upping peter parker and messing up his life but he was cheating it so that's again that's when spider-man kind of loses it or parker kind of loses it on him calls him out humiliates him when the symbiote gets rejected, it feels that same humiliation. That's why those two come together. All of that still works. Because Spider-Man has had this problem of, like, discerning his villains, it makes sense, again, that Sandman and Venom might team up to try and stop him. And so, like, all of that comes together, but we see it, we, we, but it's done good. We see yeah. it happen in a way that makes sense that melds everything together. So everything all happening at once is kind of how this goes down. If he were just fighting Sandman, maybe he would have been more discerning. If he was just dealing with Harry as the goblin, maybe he could have tackled it and handled it better. If he was just, you know, exposing Brock and then dealing with the symbiote, maybe he could have been more aware and on top of it. But with the symbiote affecting him, Sandman running amok and just being a random element, whereas, you know, Harry's sort of his own random element coming at him and coming after things he likes. Like, he was just overwhelmed. He got overwhelmed. And that's why we need that that MJ to, like, take a breath, figure yourself out. And when he realizes that the symbiote is, is very much like a drug and bad is when he does strike out at her or lash out at her, which... That made sense. Again, it was just so heavy-handed, you know, pun intended, and it was just so just in your face. Like, there was no there was no actual growth. It was just, oh, look, he was bad. Now he learns it's bad. I don't know. That's, that's my fix, and I feel like it can still work. I, I normally say you shouldn't 
mix in a bunch of villains. I think Amazing, the second Amazing Spider-Man movie did that. It had a, you know, sort of a hint at a Harry Osborn goblin thing while having the rhino at the beginning for funsies and really being about Electro. And it was just like, no, 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 no. Any one of these villains is a movie. And we saw proof of that in yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming when the villain was... Um, just, Vulture. just Vulture, a good villain. Going back to what you said, a good villain makes the movie uh, a relatable, uh-huh. like, but also still scary villain. And it's like you, they can make movies about all the other villains later. And then once they've established some time in, or even like in the, the Spider Verse, you've got the main villain Kingpin, but sort of sub villains like Tombstone and the Prowler, and things like that that sort of come in as like muscle support, but are are, are like sub villains. You, you could yeah. do that maybe, but don't don't try and take major villains and just introduce all of their stories at once into a film. It's it's just a bad idea unless that's the point. And like in, in our fix, the point is Venom, Sandman, Goblin, they're all different villains and Spider-Man's having trouble discerning how to act around all of them. It's not like he has he almost feels like he's out of control and he just needs to like buckle down, get tough and and strong arm everything because that's the only that's the only surefire solution. And you know, MJ's the one to be like, "No, you're better than that. I, you know, fell in love with you because I saw a person who was discerning even at the worst of times, you know, who's had so much happening to him but could still find the good in other people." And it's like, "Oh yeah, that's really a thing about Peter Parker and a thing that she would see." And man, I'm writing a better movie already. Take 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 notes. Yeah, I I totally agree. I I think You've really hit the nail on the head. The core issue in this movie is the writing. There's so much other stuff. You know, we talked about the visual effects. We talked about some of the casting choices. So many of those things are very forgivable if if your writing works. And the writing just didn't work in this movie. And I think, like you said, I think the first and foremost thing you got to fix is the relationship with MJ. Because everything else kind of starts to fall into place once you fix their relationship. Even though we had different things we liked and loved about this, I think it's funny that we we can always come together at the end and, and really see the issue is writing. <laughs> yeah, the real issue at the end of the day is that this wasn't a musical. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, I'm going to need you to write the songs for this musical, though. You're going to have to give me at least six major I gotta numbers. Finish, I got to finish writing Jurassic Park the musical with Joey first. Okay. So. Uh, so I think we're, we're good on our fix for this movie, or at least as good as we're going to get on this movie. Are we being too vague? Should we should we go I don't, more detail No, I don't think these? so at all. I don't think so. My, my, because, again, we our goal with these is to try and maintain as much of the original as possible. And that's what I'm saying is we're not... We're not trying to, like, make this the best movie ever made. We're just trying to make it better. And we're trying to identify what are some of the, the I don't want to say quick fixes, but what are some of the broader fixes for this movie? And it's like you said, we write better relationships and other things fall into place. Yeah, definitely. Because that's really where the motivation comes from for the characters is their relationships. And then I would say my secondary for your fix is is with the editing you know this movie if had it been edited better had we intercut certain scenes better had we shortened up and tightened up certain 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 scenes better then it improves the movie overall it and like i said you can you can forgive so many things like lackluster performances can be not fixed but made better in editing 
And if you start with the writing and you end with the editing, the stuff in the middle starts to come into play or starts to uh, come into focus and, and be better. I agree. I mean, it's it's all important, but yeah, you, you need a solid start and you definitely need to end strong. So that, that middle part, you can get, it can be more forgiven if, you know, you, you can't get the effects just right or if, you know, this scene isn't as you know, flashy or cool as it could have been. But when you just focus on how many effects can we shove in here and how flashy can we make this thing and you leave all the subs, like that's, that's all the icing, you know, if you, if you forget the cake, then you're just eating icing, which sounds like fun, but man, do you get a stomach ache after before we finish talking about Spider-Man three? I want to talk about one more thing real quick. You know how, uh, the Marvel films, uh, started doing the one shots at some point, the little short, uh, short films. Yeah. I miss those. So, I think there was an opportunity for a really hilarious Marvel one shot in this movie, because when we were, we're at the, the big church, the cathedral, Eddie Brock is praying for God to kill Spider-Man, which is a ridiculous scene. But anyways, um, the bell starts chiming. The symbiote starts going crazy because it's, you know, it's got an aversion to, to sound, which by the way, completely reinforces my idea to make this a musical. And <laughs> we, we end the movie with the people, the New Yorkers in the streets singing like some sort of Faru Dore, you know, Kumbaya yeah, stuff. It needs to be like a Les Mis, like, can you hear the people sing kind of bit? And absolutely. Oh absolutely. my God. This is so that's how we that's how we get rid of the symbiote, by the way. But anyways, going back to the scene in the tower where the symbiote starts to get agitated and starts to to disengage from Peter Parker's body and slide down onto Eddie Brock. There's it, the scene ends with this bird's eye view camera pulls up of of a shrouded in darkness, but very clearly naked Peter Parker. And then the next time we see him, he's like in his apartment. And I got to thinking, how the hell did naked Peter Parker get home from the top of this bell tower? And that is a Marvel one shot that I want to see. Like him having to like create like a little like uh, webbing loincloth that he's got to like wear to get in and get home in the rain. And that's another thing I want to fix. I want to make sure the symbiote behaves like a symbiote. The fact that he could take it off like a costume was weird. That's yeah, I didn't understand that's what was happening right away. Like, you saw the scene where he's in his closet, and he, like, looks at his red suit, and then he looks in the trunk, and there's the black suit. I'm like, oh, I guess he just has, like... Because I thought the symbiote had just bonded with his suit. Right. And then weird. later on, when he's up in the tower and it leaves his body, I'm like, oh, it took the form of his suit. It wasn't... The it, the movie did not make that very clear. No. The, the movie also ended on a really dry note. The whole... The whole thing was just them at the, the the bar dancing, and I'm like, this isn't just the end of the movie. This is the end of the trilogy, the franchise. Like, they yeah. weren't making another one, and they knew it, and it was just weird to see. Did they, though? Because I got the impression that the reason they didn't end it with a proposal or whatever was, and the reason that Sandman leaving was so, like, ambiguous was because they probably, up until a certain point, assumed there was going to be a fourth one. Weird. And that they were going to get to open the next movie on a big proposal or they're already, pro- he'd already proposed. So I don't know the wedding. I don't know my timeline then. Cause I know Kirsten Dunst was talking like she was done. Toby Maguire was really not, he, he, after suffering an injury was really not enjoying being in that. He that also harness. had like already he, by this movie had kind of already aged out of the part. Well, yeah, he has, I didn't want to, I don't know how to say this nicely, but his face was just not the right face for, for these movies. No. Well, and it didn't help that there were way, there were times when, they were shooting him 
from like a really weird low angle where he had like double chin and like, don't get me wrong. I like a good double chin, but it just wasn't working for Spider-Man. He kind of has, well, he, I, I call it rubber face. Like in, in all three movies, he'll like emote either, you know, like he's grunting or growling or something. And his face just looks like it's made. Of, I'm sorry. That's a mean thing to say about this man. No, I'm laughing because I was watching Arrested Development several years ago and I commented that Michael Sarah had a butter face and my friend Mike that was watching it with me, he was like, what are you What are you talking about? I'm like, he's got a butter face. And he's like, I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> I thought it meant your face looked like butter. <laughs> I did not know what butter face meant. Well, well, I said rubber face, to be clear, audience. And and I just, it, it, his expressions, whenever he was emoting, like, like struggling or whatever, it was just, it was so awkward looking. And it was only reinforced by the fact that anytime his suit had battle damage, there was rubber skin with, like, cuts and scrapes that, that he wore. So you, the skin underneath wasn't his skin. It was, like, a rubber that they drew, like bat like scars and stuff on and so like the rubber skin with the rubber emoji face i i just I, I, nothing against him he's a great actor i'm sure he's a fine human being i just don't think he was right for these role this role at all i agree with you i t- and uh, as evidenced i think by the actors that followed him being progressively i think better in the role like i thought andrew garfield was really good And then I think Tom Holland is actually a great Peter Mm. Parker. I think he's great for the Parker they set up. That's a Parker that's not a senior yet. And I think they can grow Mm. into the part. And I love that. Uh, But yeah, I just, you know, another reason I thought they knew they were done is Tobey Maguire originally was going to pull out and they were looking at casting Jake Gyllenhaal as a replacement and which I actually would have liked to have seen. But that could have been fun. You know, it, but he then came back, and I just assumed that they knew we're not going to be able to negotiate many more of these. So, so maybe they didn't officially know they were done, but I feel like the writing was on the wall. Well, that's our fix for this movie. Have we picked out what our next movie is going to be? Ooh, good question. Do we want to? We have something on the calendar, but I don't think that's what we're going to do. I think we're going to do something different. Mm-hmm. What do you think so we're going to do? Um, I don't know. I want to. I think we're we're doing a lot of uh, superhero movies lately. A lot of sci-fi stuff, and I want to try and f- uh, I want to try and find something kind of like Frozen. That's not a bad movie that just could have been better. Instead of picking these like sort of abysmal <laughs> titles. Yes, but this one this one needed to be done. Oh, it it absolutely did, and it's perfect timing too because um, as we briefly mentioned earlier uh spider-man into the spider-verse just came out and i think it's safe to say that we both thoroughly enjoyed it oh yeah that's on my recommendations list for this one is the spider-man into the spider-verse i highly recommend that it was a great way to tell a spider-man film and they had multiple villains and multiple spider-mans and they still pulled it off really well yeah, I that was going to be my recommendation for this week as well. If you're looking for just a fun movie, it's a fun movie, and it's got some poignant moments. Genuinely made me laugh more than once. Artistically love this movie. I They play with a few different art styles because they're playing with spider people from different universes. They get to play with different art styles as well, which I think was an added little bonus. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, huge recommendation. Check it out in theaters right now 
So I've got our list up of movies that we want to do. They all tend to fall along the superhero sci-fi categories. Do we want to... Yeah, you can tell that we lean a specific way when it comes to our movies. <laughs> well, I feel like those categories have the most potential to be good versus, I don't know, I mean, like your rom-com is going to be what it is. If we try and fix it, do we not just kind of tear it out of its genre at some point? No, I don't think so. Because like we did, uh, one of our very, very first episodes was Snatched, which was sort of a romantic comedy. It was more of a comedy than anything else. And I'd like to, to try doing some more of those kinds of movies, um, just to kind of see what we can do with we we obviously like to talk about sci-fi fantasy type movies, but I think it'd be fun to 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 test our skills on something a little different. I agree. How about this? How about we we hold off? We we ask our awesome audience, the fellow MFers, to give us some some recommendations. And maybe in the interim, you and I can pick up one of our kind of just sort of broader topics. We did holiday movies as a topic recently, and that was fun. And there are definitely uh, other things we can talk about uh, just in the the realm of movies and the effects it can have. Yeah, I like that idea. Let's uh, look for some feedback. Listeners, if you want to uh, let us know what you want us to fix Either leave us a comment on Facebook, uh, facebook.com only on slash only on TSD. We're also on Twitter as only on TSD. You can also find us uh, at our website at 30 something spelled out dot digital. There's no dot com to that. There's no www. And you can also email us at contact at only on TSD. If you've got a movie that you think we can fix or that you want to hear our fix for, let us know. And and we're specifically for this next one looking for anything that's not in our superhero fantasy sci-fi genre and that you think was potentially could have been a good movie. It just it yeah. fell flat. Doesn't need. I, I don't want to do another Wicker Man that was just sure garbage I agree. from our minute one to the end. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm looking forward to hear hearing what everybody has to say. Cool. All right. Well, Tona, you want to give us our credits? Yeah. With that, I uh, we're your host. Tony and Matt, executive producers, as always, are Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. Our intro, or in this case, not intro, is provided by Jess Aducci and uh, Nick Aducci, who provides the awesome artwork you see on our cover. And just thanks to all of you. Um, we're, we're trying harder to, to make this a more ingestible podcast, so we appreciate any feedback you can provide, uh, things we need to talk more on or more likely talk less on. And, uh, yeah, so then we can maybe get you to, to put us out there. Give us a shout-out to your friends if you, if you think it's worth their time and we won't just make them miserable. Yeah, share it with your friends. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Movie Fixers. We are your hosts, and we will see you after the holidays. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and uh, stay safe out there. Bye. <laughs>